Welcome to Science Radio, a space where we chat about culture, belief, wellness, and current events, all through the lens of faith. Welcome back to another episode of Science Radio. My name is Jesse, and today I am not alone. I am very happy to introduce my co-host for the day, Zanita. Welcome, Zanita. Thank you. Yeah, drum roll. <laughs> drum roll. I'll make sure to insert that in post. That that's, that's <laughs> Zanita, I'm super psyched because you have written for us a wonderful article in this issue of Science Magazine. Would you like to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I have written an article called Your Net Worth is Not Your Self-Worth and it's all about the the topic of where we find value in terms of our money. So that's what, what the article has been about. And so today we have a lady named Rosie, who is the CEO of Christians Against Poverty joining us. She is going to share some practical solutions about how we can manage our money better and also share with us what Christians Against Poverty is and what they do. Brilliant. Well, let's uh, go to that right now uh, and welcome on Rosie. All right. Well, welcome, Rosie. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. We are super excited today to talk to you about money. Money is such an important topic, and it's one that we're focusing in on specially for this particular issue. There is an article that Zanita wrote for us about money and money mindset, but we thought, hey, let's get an expert in on the podcast, somebody who deals with not just money, but the way that money affects people's lives on a really, really deep level. So for those of us who aren't familiar with Christians Against Poverty, which is the organization you work for, could you tell us a little bit about it and a little bit about you and where you fit into it? Yeah, thank you. I mean, I totally echo all of your sentiments. I think money is a is a massive issue and something that we should be talking about more often. And we don't talk about money often enough, I think, and how that intersects with our faith, probably most importantly. But yeah, I mean, I um, lead an organisation called Christians Against Poverty, commonly shortened to CAP. And as an organisation, we're here to strengthen the church, to equip them with practical solutions to move towards people that are in financial distress. And we talk commonly about a term we say is walk alongside. And I'm sure this will come out today that people that are in acute financial distress and wanting or needing to wrestle with this conversation of finances. Yes, there is normally an issue of not enough income, but there is such, it's kind of a holistic issue in terms of people's relationships, how it's affecting them and having someone to walk alongside them for the journey is really important. And so as an organisation, we exist to give the church the confidence to be able to do that um, well and to be able to do that kind of following best practice. You know, money is a complex thing in itself and it's important that the church, even with the best of intentions, actually moves towards that conversation in, a, in, in the right way, also does that with Jesus at the centre. So that's what we're passionate about and that's what we um, are here for is essentially we do lots of different things, but all focused around equipping the church and empowering them to, to have a positive influence in this area of money in people's lives and in their community. Mm. Mm. 
That's really awesome. I, I love how you said that the theme is like walking alongside or the focus is walking alongside. We don't get that much education about money in school. We learn about maths, but not necessarily like how to steward our money well. And then we kind of just thrown out into the world and it's like, ah, like, what do I do? And so that's really cool. But I know Christians is in your name, but is this like, are your services available to like all people as well? And is it an Australian thing or a worldwide thing or... Hmm, good question. So, yes, our services or kind of our partnership with the church means that it's accessible to anyone that wants and needs the service. And really, I mean, Christians is in our name because it's geared at giving the giving the Christian community the skills that they need to help people. And so predominantly people that are being kind of accessing services and walk, walked alongside, we call it money mentoring, and they're being given a money mentor from the church church often aren't Christians, but the person that they're meeting with that is the kind of volunteer normally is a Christian that is based based in a church. In terms of us as an organisation, we, we're CAP Australia function here nationally across all states and I'm really passionate about equipping the church capital C cross denomination in unity around this conversation of money and how do we walk alongside people effectively. There is an international organisation, so we're also in four other nations, the UK, New Zealand, Canada, and most recently in the last couple of years launched in the USA. And so those, we're kind of related in the kind of sister brother relationship and have affiliation and learn from one another, but are separate kind of entities as well. Mm, that's brilliant. And I can testify of the amazing impact that CAP has. Uh, Rosie, you probably don't know this, but I used to be a pastor. I pastored in New Zealand and... Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that we had at my church, we we partnered with CAP for release groups. Mm-hmm. And, Perfect, um, yeah. It was, yeah, it was an incredible experience to be part of that process. Um, very intense, but a lot of healing, a lot of freedom that, that happened because of those groups. So that was an incredible experience. Obviously, we're here to talk about money specifically. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, why CAP believes it's so important to partner with people in the space of money. I know you've already alluded to that a little bit. And also, what services do you provide in that area? Yeah, so I I mean, we've, if for any of us that read our Bibles on a regular basis, we'll know that money and our resources comes up a lot. And I think for all of us, we can probably attest to stories or experiences in our own lives where we've not or we've been in stressful situations with our own money. I know for me and my husband, certainly when we first got married, our first five, six years of marriage, the thing that we argued about the most was money. And the fit, the I suppose both a biblical story and narrative combined with my own personal experience and the experience of many across the nation as we minister with CAB will tell us that the relationship with money and our spiritual health is interlinked, that you can't kind of look at your spiritual health without looking at your financial health and vice versa, that it's very difficult to have a conversation around your money without also talking about your identity and what you value and how you spend your money. And the things that we spend our money on tell us a lot about the things that we hold dear to us. And actually, you know, if we can actually look at our spending, it tells us normally the things that we value. Is that our family? Is it material possessions? Is it building community? Is it generosity? Actually, there's this kind of really intrinsic link between our 
spiritual health and our financial health. And therefore, kind of in in the hands of the church, it's a really important conversation for us to be having both within the church, but outside within the community. I think there's so much of this upside down kingdom that Jesus talked about with our finances that is so beneficial for the world in which we're told we need certain things to be happy. We're told that we need to live a certain life to have fulfillment. And all of those things aren't true. We can be content with a lot or a little. And actually, we're called to lives of generosity and community with one another. And those kind of fundamentals can transform both our own lives, but the the lives of the lives of others. And so it's something that we're super, super passionate about. So many good points. I feel like sometimes it's scary to look at where you are spending your money because you have these ideas of what you value in your head. But then when you look at your like transactions and it doesn't align, it's it, it can be confronting mm. for a lot of people. And I think for myself in the past, I've avoided conversations or even podcasts about money because it's an issue that bring, has brought up like stress and anxiety because I think sometimes it can seem like we have so many things to pay for that even just to save is difficult. And and I think that's why there's so much fear and anxiety and insecurity around and why it's such a big stress factor for so many people. But what are some practical things that you advise people in terms of when it comes to being wise with our money? I think one of the first things is to have someone that we can talk to about our money. So I think I mentioned this right back at the beginning. We don't talk about money often enough. And you just shared how difficult sometimes it can be to talk about money because often there's a high stress factor. And currently, and I'm sure we'll come and talk to this in a minute about the cost of living increasing. And, you know, there is a lot of people really struggling out there. And so one of the first things is to have a conversation and have someone that you feel like you can talk to, whether that be a partner, whether it be a best friend, whether it be just someone that you can talk openly. You know, how many people know how much we earn? How many people know what we spend our money on? It's not something we talk about. So that would be my number one thing. The next thing is to, to have some kind of budget. And I think, again, you know, kind of sounds simple. And you mentioned earlier about us not being taught things at school. Actually, the stats would tell us that not many of us have a budget. We kind of are used to, relatively speaking, this is a really wide comment to say we're used to having enough money to pay for the things that we have. And that kind of, therefore, you you can actually afford not to really have a budget when, when you know, you kind of, something comes up unexpected and you actually do have a bit of a buffer. But ultimately, I think going back to the values conversation, if we have a budget, it means we can intentionally make decisions on where we're spending our money. And it means that we can make decisions before we spend rather than, you know, when we're in the supermarket or in that point of decision on how we spend, if we've actually thought about it and even further than that, prayed over our budget and made those decisions on where we want to spend our money, then that can be really helpful. And certainly when we're talking about people that are in financial distress, actually a budget becomes mission critical because actually there often isn't enough money to go around. And so actually being able to to look at where money needs to go and make, again, intentional decisions on where maybe we can increase income, where we can cut back and how we can put a system in place to save effectively is really, really important. So they're probably my two top tips, which they sound 
easy and simple, but probably are not, you know, kind of most people listening to this probably, they're, they're not things that most of us have in place. Someone to talk about money with and, and, and a budget that we've intentionally spent time on, looked at and made decisions on where we want our money to be going and what, how we want to spend that money. Je n'ai pas l'argent pour avoir tous ces gens à mes pieds scandants, vénérants et chantants, mon nom et mon talent. Je n'ai pas la thune pour t'emmener sur la lune. Dire bonjour à Saturne, admirer la lagune de Vénus et Neptune. At the risk of psychoanalyzing myself, I will readily put my hand up and admit that that is something that I've struggled with, actually having a budget and probably more importantly, sticking to that budget. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, it, I'm, I've been married six years and I can definitely testify that what you say is true, Rosie, that some of our biggest arguments between my wife and I have been because of money. Why do you think it is so hard for some people to number one actually have a budget and number two stick to it what do you think is, is are some of the the issues that people have with actually doing that I think that when you're in a relationship that can be really difficult because you're not just managing yourself you're actually managing different expectations and you're kind of having to work together as a, as a team and when we spend money kind of you, you then need some kind of system in place that the other person knows that that money's been spent and so I think that's part of it that actually working we're not great at working as a team you know kind of so we have to learn, learn those skills. I think that many of us struggle to live on a budget. My answer to that would be because of we don't have a system that supports it. So we put a budget together that's maybe in an Excel spreadsheet and it's on our computer and then we go out into the big, you know, the big world and we've got our credit card or we've got our payment card and we don't really have an effective way to marry those things up together. And there's there's lots, I think, there's lots of different solutions for that. And some of those are kind of central to kind of how CAP teaches and walks through how to, to, to kind of live on a budget. But I would say that that's like a system. So it's maybe the second stage that comes after putting a budget together is do we have an effective system? Where whether that be weekly cash system, whether it be using an app with open banking so that we can effectively monitor our spending. There are, I would say, three or four really successful systems out there that people can use. But I think that maybe we miss that step would probably be my kind of gut. And then I, and then I kind of touched on this earlier. I think that maybe a lot of us know that maybe we, we know that we'll be okay if we don't stick to the budget. You know, kind of there's, there is that buffer. And so some of the best budgeters I know are people that are on low incomes. And so actually, they've got a lot to teach us about how, how to manage our money. That's interesting. I'm not an expert, but I would assume that it's also because we live in a society that's like the more you have, like the better mm. kind of thing. And so it's, I think it's also that drawer of like, we're not, we don't discipline ourselves maybe when we're in that low income and we just have this mentality that the more we have, the happier we'll be. And so we just like see something and... Ah, we just buy it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. We, yeah. Would that be right as well? Absolutely. I, I agree. And I think that that probably speaks to the same, like in that we probably can get away with spending that. So we feel it and we'll maybe feel guilty about it after, but we kind of get away with it. And it's when 
you know, situations like at the moment with mortgage increase rises and employment not kind of keeping up with that and, you know, kind of basically across the board, living expenses increasing, that I think that I'm, you know, kind of hopefully that starts this conversation of how can we do that better. But I totally agree with you. I think we live in a world that tells us we need certain things to be happy, certain things for our kids to be happy and provided for. And they're, we, we live in a society that tells us we need that now. You know, we're not, we are not programmed from a culture perspective to wait for things. And, and that then means, and, and we all normally all have the means through a credit card or some kind of way to, to buy things now and not need to wait. You know, society has changed a huge amount over the last 40 years in that regard. And so I think we're fighting against that tide, you know, we're fighting against the marketing that lands in our doorstep all the time. We're fighting against the kind of culture that our children are growing up in, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, I think that that's, again, why conversation is so important. Because I think when you have conversation, you actually have intentionality rather than just kind of flowing along with the, the natural tide of, of, of culture. Mm. On the theme of intentionality, I mean, I think we can all identify with the, it's almost like a euphoric drug rush when you see that thing online and you want it and it's on sale maybe. Maybe it's not, it's on sale at a pitiful amount. Maybe they they mark the price up and then, then they put it on sale, but you think, oh, I must have it. And then you go, oh no, it's so expensive or, you know, it's not in budget, but then you just do it anyway and you feel that rush. And then there's that sort of afterward, almost maybe not, necessarily buyer's remorse, but maybe a little bit, oh, that was a lot of money. In terms of intentionality and discipline, what would you recommend? What would be a good place to start for people if they want to go, okay, I want to be disciplined. I, if I want something, you know, okay, let's, let's think about some good structures and, and, and some safeguards to be able to be responsible whilst also not being miserly. What would you say is a good place to start there? I would normally, if I was kind of, and, and we can talk a little bit about how CAP trains church-based volunteers to become a money mentor. If I was in a mentor relationship and someone said that to me, I would want to talk about kind of what it, what it is that makes that kind of easy, that it generally the research would say that if we can have kind of three gateposts that you're making a decision, you know, and make some rules around that. So in some cases, it may be that actually they can have the discipline to say, I'm always going to wait two weeks. Like if I want something, I'm just going to wait two weeks. And if I still think I need it in two weeks, then that can make a transformative. Like if you've made that decision, I'm never going to make do that kind of in an impulse thing. I'm always going to going to wait. And it's amazing what time can do, you know, it's like two in two weeks time, do I still think that that's important to spend that that kind of sum of money on that on that item. For some people, actually, accountability is a really important thing. So it becomes kind of actually, if I've got to have to tell someone else that I bought this, how how is that going to go? And just in that simple act of knowing that actually, at some point in the next week, I'm going to have to tell my money mentor, or that I've spent $200 on this thing, how's that going to go? Um, that that may be really effective, you know, may actually stop me from spending that money because it, I think, you know, I don't want to have to tell them that I've spent, this, spent, spent that money. 
Um, and in others, I think that it's, it might be as simple as not having a credit card and not having that kind of easy means to, to, to money that maybe we don't actually have in our bank account. I think that also, you know, that can be um, that kind of easy access to, to cash can be part of the problem for people. And so really, there's probably not a, this is the golden thing. I think it's through conversation and knowing ourselves and our behaviours that lead to that. And um, one of the things that we encourage is talking through the motivations too. There's often something that's driving that behaviour. And for most of us, we spend because there's something that we're trying to, you know, kind of fulfil. And sometimes that's a basic need. We all need a roof over our head and we all need to feed our families. And, you know, those are absolute, like money is there for us to enjoy. Um, but it becomes a problem when we're spending money that we don't really have. And so, yeah, putting in putting in things that can help us are, 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 is really important. Mm. Yeah, I read an article on the CAT website and it was talking about companies like Afterpay and ZipPay, how they're becoming a lot more popular. And what someone was saying, the author of the article was saying that the way that we've begun to consume is making consumption like less enjoyable. It's more convenient because we can buy it right away, but it's less enjoyable. And that that process of like saving for things and delaying the purchase actually gives us joy. <laughs> Yeah, that was a, I mean, I'd recommend going onto the website and reading. It's a really interesting article talking about gratification and joy and how we can cultivate cultivate joy through our spending. Because, you know, I want to, I mean, I do do think that money's there to be enjoyed. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate that and be intentional about it? But yeah, I think I can certainly testify to my own children in that regard. They get a very small amount of pocket money and two of my children very good at spend saving and they save and then they buy something and the joy that you know it's taken them maybe 20 weeks to save enough to buy this thing that they've really wanted and it's a beautiful wonderful thing and that's a very different thing to to kind of going seeing something and buying it straight away I think yeah yeah I remember my brother and sister and I we always had to save for things when we were when we were kids and I remember we were trying to save for a playstation and we got like a few dollars a week so it took us years to get this PlayStation. <laughs> when we got it, it was like the best moment of our life. Absolutely. I mean, how, like it's real because you're actually really proud of yourself yeah. and pleased with yourself. You've done something. It's like an achievement. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I mean, that's amazing. I reckon that's some seriously good patient skills. By my face. Hey, don't got time to waste. Yeah. I don't need permission. I'm going to do it all today. They just can't believe it, man. That's all they going to say. See these plays up on my Spotify. That's money in the bank up on my face. Don't got time to waste. Let's um let's talk about money mentorship because yeah. you know you work with a lot of churches you work with a lot of people so walk us through let's say you know somebody's listening they're a follower of Jesus and they want to get involved and then I would like to talk a little bit later about if somebody is not a follower of Jesus but they also they recognize hey I need some help in the money space but first so for those of us on the line who are followers of Jesus they want to get involved somehow to help somebody else what does that actually look like yeah, so I mean, as an organisation, one of the one of the main things that we do is train people to become a money mentor. 
And that's recognising, I suppose, all the things that we've talked about today in that having an intentional conversation around money really makes a difference for people. One of the main things that people would say when they're in financial distress and certainly financial crisis, and actually interestingly spoke to a lady earlier this week who was telling me about she'd faced homelessness four times. And her story would resonate so much with the stories that we hear again and again. People talk about loneliness, that actually not having any money or enough money, the actual feeling and the kind of the pain of it is that I feel really alone. I don't have someone who is helping me, you know, you kind of see this world around you that has enough and you just feel very, very isolated and alone. And so the power of a money mentor is that you're actually offering friendship and support to someone to have an intentional conversation around money. And so essentially, if someone's listening to this and wants to get involved, the kind of you know, there aren't qualifications, but the things that, you know, can, do I love people? Can I walk alongside someone? Can I have an intentional conversation around money? You certainly don't need, you know, a background in finance. Having life experience with your own money to talk about is super helpful and useful because the things that we talk about are people's money story. Actually, what? how was money handled in my household? How was, was I ever given money? What's my previous experience and how, how has money both been a blessing in my life and where is it not been all the way through to practical things like building a budget, putting a system in place, and then walking through that journey. You know, if there's debts, then actually can we start repaying those debts? If there are kind of things that we want, kind of goals that we places we want to get to, can we set some goals and start walking towards those together? And a money mentor can do that in the context of, um, you know, kind of the church that's something that they do more as kind of a ministry. It might be that a church is already maybe, you know, churches are really good at doing kind of crisis support. So it might be a food bank or an op shop or a meal once a week. Actually, a money mentor coming alongside a ministry like that to provide actually a kind of ongoing support for someone so that you're not just giving kind of a handout, you're actually walking alongside someone so that they can see a change in their financial situation and hopefully move from financial distress to financial freedom. Also, uh, we're training a money mentor to work in a group context too. So can we can we walk alongside six, 10 people at the same time? Maybe, you know, it might be a group of, of single moms, might be a group of new, newly married, actually have an intentional conversation around money and how we're handling that and to do that in a group context can be really powerful too. Do you tend to work with individuals or churches? What's your like what's your method? How do you do that? Yeah, so we really want to work with a church rather than just an individual. And that's mainly because we want, you know, for us, and we've talked about this today, the the context of money should be done in community. And ultimately, I think that we talked about people in financial distress, actually what they need is community. So while a money mentor can be really powerful, actually kind of coming within a community of people that can help with other needs and holistic kind of care that someone's actually been welcomed into the fabric of a church is really important. And so Kat wants to have relationship at a partnership level and feel like we're partnering with a church to to do something significant together. And then we 
within a, within a church, then obviously people kind of nominate themselves to become a money mentor. And the training for that is online, self-paced, and so relatively simple, currently takes someone around 15 hours to, to do that online. So yeah, it's, it's quite, it's flexible, but is proving really fruitful. Mm. And we'll make sure at the very end that if people want to know how to get signed up with your church to to do this, we'll make sure that we get that necessary information out there. But I'm also wondering on the flip side, if you're not a, a Jesus follower, but you recognize, hey, I need a little bit of help in this area, how can they access your services? Yeah, the best way to do that is to head to, head to our website and there's a there's I need help form that you can complete on there and you can give your details and one of the team will be back in touch. And what that will do is we kind of then know where our money mentors are and hopefully can match people up. And right now I will kind of say this because I think it adds to the the need for money mentors. We there are a lot of people that that need help at the moment and more and more people feeling the kind of financial pressure. And so quite quite often people are reaching out for help and we we don't have a money mentor that's available for them. But however, if they reach out, if people fill that form in on the website, we always will call that person back and again have a conversation which sometimes is is helpful in itself and also have access to look at other services and what else in their area can be helpful. So we'll always kind of be able to to respond and do something. But ultimately, you know, kind of what we want to be able to do is to to match people up with, with with a money mentor. Your company, correct me if I'm wrong, but your company has the motto, start the conversation and the shame. Mm, yeah, that's, that was a campaign that we ran earlier this year. Yeah, absolutely. And shame is a huge, a huge issue and um, something that, you know, kind of when we're in financial distress or in financial difficulty, actually asking for help and having a conversation is a big is a big thing. And the hardest thing is to ask for help. The hardest thing is to say, do you know what, I'm actually in deeper and I don't, you know, I don't know how to, to get out of this situation. And our natural instinct is to kind of carry on and hope, you know, that we can get out of it ourselves. And actually, the best and most effective thing to do is to ask for help, but the hardest. And so often that's the, the thing to really encourage people that the best thing that you can do is ask for help. But we recognise that that is really a difficult thing to do. But the team that that take and those inquiries know that and will will kind of yeah it's a it's a friendly place to to ask for help Hmm. well I think there's there is an elephant in the room here and we're all we're all feeling it we've all felt it over the last few months the rise in inflation especially here in Australia but also certainly in New Zealand has been a really, really stress pain point for for every single person, I think, whether that's just, you know, at the fuel bowser or whether it's, you know, trying to buy a a lettuce at at Woolies. What are you seeing over the last few months? I'm assuming that it has made some pretty some pretty significant waves with cap. So what do you what have you been seeing over the last few months and, and what are you seeing into the future with the inflation crisis that our country has been going through? Yeah, I mean, I, I touched on this when we were talking about people that need help, but we're certainly seeing more and more people that maybe haven't experienced financial distress before feeling vulnerable and people that maybe have always been in a position where they've not got a lot of money, but they've kind of gone from not 
kind of being being a, being good at budgeting and kind of managing things to to feeling like they they can't they can't pay their bills and that's really really hard because actually it's not easily solved in that you've got you know often people with some sort of employment, but probably not enough, or certainly, you know, their hourly rate isn't enough to cover the current increases in in their expenditure. And then kind of alongside that, we'll all be very aware of kind of, let's call it the housing crisis in which we've not got enough housing here in Australia, which is driving the rental costs up. And meaning that if you're on a fairly low, even to middle income, that getting a rental in the first place is incredibly difficult. And so we have more and more people here in Australia being forced into homelessness than ever before. And I suppose there's, you can look at that and think, okay, well, that is, it's really bleak and sad. And it, and it is, you know, kind of you put yourself in that kind of situation where maybe you've got a family and a rental that can't stay there and know they can't afford to stay there and they're being forced out. There is an opportunity for the church to be the community for people like that. And it's going to require a bold, innovative, brave church response, I think. But ultimately, I think as Christians, we're called to share our possessions. And I think that Australia is a very wealthy nation. And the reality is, I think that actually, if we were able to to, to see our wealth as something that we can be generous with and share, you know, kind of share our homes and our possessions and fit, have people around for a regular meal, that can make all all the difference to families that are really struggling with their food bill. If they knew they had a hot meal every Friday at someone else's house who can afford to do that, it could absolutely change from having a budget that balances to, to a budget that doesn't. And so I think that there's there's two sides to that story. There with there's there are more people struggling than ever before. You kind of and and almost by the week. I mean, next week we're expecting another increase in in the interest rate. And so for people that are owning their own home, I think we're going to, you know, there's going to be another wave of people really feeling that. And then I, but I think within the church we need to be asking ourselves, okay, well, how do we how do we deal with this together? You know, kind of as community of believers, and how do we? What should our response to this be? And I think that there are there are many things that we could be exploring as the church to to answer that question. Some something you touched on a few times was this idea of having values, and I think what you just said, like talking about generosity and sharing things and community, that comes down to our values. Can you talk a little bit about like how we figure out actually what our values are around money? Because I think for a lot of people, that's a foreign concept to think about. Mm. I think probably the way the the way I would encourage people to start with that is to kind of not make it a money conversation. It's actually, I think we touched on this again earlier that we don't naturally, you know, we don't naturally do that and we don't always see those as the same kind of conversation. So I would encourage someone to start, you know, a blank piece of paper, what do I value? And then, and I think that that's maybe an easier conversation in that, okay, so I, you know, most people probably in the top of their head would say, okay, well, I value my family, I value my work, I value living generously, you know, kind of actually, can I write these things down? Are there five top values that I have that I want to, my life to reflect? I think, People would find that maybe challenging, but if you start there, it feels easier. The next and much more conflicting conversation is to say, okay, well, does my budget reflect that? Do do how how does the way I spend my money support um, 
those values that I've just kind of decided are the most important things for me and and how do those things align and are the things that I need to change in my budget to to bring that better into alignment. And I think that, you know, while there are a lot of people struggling at the moment with the financial pressure, there is a whole nother side, I think, of society that does have plenty. And there is a huge call personally, you know, kind of for Christians to be more generous than ever in this cultural moment. Mm. And I think that's a really, that's something that I really want to touch on. You know, I think it's so true. It has to start at an individual level. We can't necessarily always change the world right away, but we can change ourselves. But there is a reality that I am seeing as a churchgoer. And I think COVID has definitely contributed toward this. There are fewer people, I think, now than there were two years ago physically attending church. And of course, we have electronic giving and we have a lot of different methods by which people can give. But there is a trend that I've noticed of a decline in in generosity in the church. I'm not sure if I don't have data on that. I don't know if the data that you have backs that up, but I do know that we spoke to Tim Costello a few months ago toward the beginning of the year, and he said something really fascinating that Australians have always considered themselves to be a generous people, but the OECD data is indicating that we have that perception, but the reality is not the same. So what what are you seeing in terms of the generosity trends in churches and with Christians? And is there a way that we can inspire greater levels of generosity across the church? I hope so. To unpack, <laughs> to, un- to unpack all of that question, I think I don't have any, I don't have any stats other than some kind of things that sounds like Tim Costello shared with you about kind of general Australian trends, but they're not necessarily church specific. But I can tell you from the many conversations that I have, even personally as an organisation with church, we talk about the kind of noise that you hear. So it might not be statistical, but ultimately, I think nearly every conversation I have with a church leader would say that their giving is down and they have less, they're, they're, they're managing this competing kind of priorities of the staff that they have and the outgoings and a building and, you know, kind of it's a massive pressure on church church leaders is this kind of wrestling with leading in faith and, yeah, managing a a much tighter budget than they've had previously. I can also tell you that nearly every conversation I have with not-for-profit Christian CEOs tells me that income is down across the board from, you know, even our own store. We've got less regular givers, you know, kind of declining year on year over the last three years since COVID. And that is not an unusual story. And so that tells us, I think, you know, as a noise without any stats kind of on on a big picture that, that people are giving less than they were. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, why is that? I think we've we've talked about the cost, the cost of living increasing, and therefore, you know, there are very um real pressures on people. And therefore, I think that in, you know, kind of there would be a good number of instances where people are having to pull back on their giving, and that probably would be the right thing. However, I do think there is probably, you know, kind of a whole nother myriad that we've got a story, I suppose, a narrative that we listen to that cost of living is going in one direction and the response is fear. And the fear is I need to provide for myself and I need to hold on to my possessions because who knows what's going to happen. I may in the future need this pot of money that I have. In the future, I may need to, yeah, kind of look after myself. And 
And actually the Bible teaches us a completely different narrative that, that, that God will provide for us and we don't need to worry about tomorrow. That actually our response to the financial and kind of the cultural moment that we're in I think as Christians should be to lean greater, kind of to a greater extent into generosity because we don't have to live a life of, of fear. And and therefore kind of we, we live in this kind of, I don't know, um, conundrum in that I think that some people might be listening to this and think, I, I give generously, I give everything I can, I can't give anymore because, you know, I don't even know how I'm going to feed my kids tomorrow. And to them, I would say, God would also say, to, you know, God would say to you, it is okay, you know, kind of li- living generously can look differently for all of us. We, it's a heart thing and not a kind of material thing. But I think there would be many people listening to this that maybe our response and we are fearful, you know, kind of I, I think we would be not being honest if there were any of us that probably weren't fearful about our own financial situations on some level, whether it be, you know, our super or what's going to happen in 10 years time when, I mean, for me, I'll be having kids going to university and, you know, kind of you, you think about those things and there is an element, but I think God calls us to a, to a life that is different to that, to that, a life that gives generously in, in the face of even not knowing where, where that money is going to come from for the future. And I certainly think that for Christian organisations like CAP and for the church more broadly, we need we need people to be giving more generously now than they maybe have ever have done before to kind of lean into that space. And I think we find spiritual freedom in that place and, and maybe, you know, kind of a new era and a new, a new freedom that we need as a, as, as a group of Christians anyway. I love what you're saying there that we don't we don't need to have fear <laughs> because I think that's something that so often comes up whether we're Christians or not. And I suppose that they say that our our mindsets around money are formed when we're children. Hence why we just find ourselves in these places probably of, of fear and stress. Can you like touch on that a little bit of the importance of a mindset around money? Yeah, and I just to echo, I agree with you. I think that all things would indicate from a research perspective and also from our experience that our, you know, kind of our previous experience with money and how money was handled in our households as as we were growing up is a really important conversation to have. It's actually where we start a money mentor relationship is to talk about that because it is so instrumental in the way that we view money now. And sometimes we don't see it through that lens. So, you know, kind of actually realising that we, you know, had parents that did this with money and thinking, oh, actually, that's one of the things that I really struggle with. And sometimes we go the complete opposite and just having that conversation can be really helpful. Our mindset, I think, is really, really important and actually being aware of what what our mindset is. And so we've talked about this already, but the talking that through can be really helpful with someone because sometimes we don't see that ourselves. So having someone ask us some key questions about kind of why we do certain things with money or or why we feel certain ways when we do things. So, you know, sometimes we might feel fearful or we might feel guilty about a certain thing that we do with our money and then kind of being able to unpack that because it's normally two or three layers down that we might find a mindset that needs to shift. And then it takes time, you know. it's We all know that changing a mindset is not something that you just kind of 
decide. But again, through the context of a, of a money mentor, it's the kind of thing that you can talk through over time. And, you know, you kind of keep coming back to and it becomes a dialogue. And over time, I think we can change. Never been so lucky, I can have it all. Can I simply ask you where you get this money from? As a pastor, I've been part of churches that have had budgets of like, you know, 100,000 plus. I've been, you know, part of churches that have had budgets under 20,000 in a year. And I'm, I'm assuming that you work with churches probably at the very bottom of that scale all the way to way beyond millions and millions of dollars in their annual budget sort of thing. But when you see really, really big churches, you know, spend lavish amounts of, of money on big things, you know, whether it be the auditoriums, whether it be, you know, the expensive speaking tours, whether it be whatever the case may be, and, you know, not not to name anybody out in particular, but what goes through your head as somebody who works with people and with organizations at the very, you know, the very broad spectrums that you that you deal with every day? I think that your what you say is true in that the the difference can sometimes be confronting. So, you know, the fact that you might, I know that there are churches that have very, very tight budgets and I know that there are churches that have much bigger budgets. And, and knowing the conversation that we're wanting to have with churches around moving towards people that are in financial distress and how as a church do you grapple with both the conviction to serve the poor and to walk alongside people in financial distress but actually act that out. I think that I would say that the conversations across the board, like you could, have, you could have a church that's spending, you know, a lot of money on, on other things and then have a real appetite for moving towards serving the poor, the same as you can have a church that's not not spending that much. So it kind of feels like across the spectrum we have conversations. I think to speak to your question about how and how it makes us feel, you know, kind of when churches are spending money on, on big things, the thing that came to mind was, again, about values. And I think sometimes it's easy to judge and kind of, you know, our own human condition, my own, what are they spending money on that for? My encouragement, if I was invited into a conversation around spending in a church, which, you know, kind of globally I'm not, would be to say to, to churches, I would love for them to do the same thing that we were just talking about with values, that I think that it's absolutely okay to spend a lot of money on something if it aligns with your values as a church. So, Actually, if as a church you've got a mission to do a certain thing and your spending is in line with that mission, then I think that that's the right thing to do. But I think that the same in our own budgets, I would expect that churches, if they did that exercise and looked at um, what are our values, what's our mission, what's our vision, and then what's our budget as a church. Do those two things align? I think the same with our own financial situations. There will probably be disparity there. And so it's a conversation I think that we should be having at an organisational level, a church level and a personal level is to say, do is does my spending align with my values? And if it does, I don't think it matters on the size of the budget and how kind of much money has been spent on things because there's intentionality about that 
that spend. It's an investment into a result or a mission that you've decided upon. But if it's spending money on something that's not aligned with that, then I think we should be asking ourselves questions about it. So many nuggets, Rosie, that you've given us. I've written down a few notes for myself after this, but I'm just conscious of time. Where can people go if they want to either become a money mentor, if they want money mentoring, or if they just want to learn more about CAP? Yeah, I mean, the best place to go is our website. And so that's capost.org, C-A-P-A-U-S-T.org. And there's various different things on there. You'll find some blog posts, which we've talked a little bit about today, which can be, you know, written by various different people, real experts in the field of some of the things that we've talked about today. So that can be, you know, if you just want to kind of immerse yourself in some other interesting thoughts around money and our faith and this whole area that we've talked about today, that can be a really great place. You can also ask for help. There's an inquiry form on there. There's also a place that you can find out more about becoming a money mentor and what church partnership looks like. And so that would be the best place for people to kind of direct themselves to. Brilliant. Hey, Rosie, look, we really, really appreciate the time that you've spent with us today. No problem. We we love CAP. We love the work they do. And we just pray that you guys will um, continue to serve the church and impact lives for, for the kingdom. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. This episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A print subscription is $28 a year or just $14 for a digital subscription. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. This is an Adventist Media Podcast.